This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. One thing that I love asking guests on the show is what advice they would give to an up-and-coming designer. When I talked with Tori Hargrove, I asked him what's the best advice he's been given about design. Design rigor is the most important quality that you can have as a designer. Your third execution will be better than your first, and your tenth better than that, and your twentieth better than that. So sometimes all you need to do is just keep designing and keep pushing before you even go back and review what you've created. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Syracuse University is looking for a web analytics architect. Mapbox is looking for a front-end engineer. Vox Media is looking for a platform design director. Jopwell is looking for a lead designer. And here at Revision Path, we're looking for design writers as well as a brand marketing strategist. We also have job listings from Indeed.com. So head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts when there are new positions added to the job board. You'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, it's that time of year again. It's time for our audience survey. We've grown a lot over the past year, and we conduct an audience survey to learn more about you and about what you think about the show. So head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash survey to take it. Should take you about five to 10 minutes to complete it. Plus, everyone who submits the survey will be entered into a giveaway for a $100 amazon.com gift card. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash survey. The survey ends on May the 1st. Now let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Join more than 15 million people who use MailChimp to not only send emails, but to grow their businesses on their own terms. Whether you have an informational website, a nonprofit, or you're doing e-commerce, you can start sending professional-looking email newsletters to your clients today for absolutely free. MailChimp, send better email. When you have a great idea for a project, you need to give it a great domain name. And guess what? Finding the perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. You know, most people don't realize that when you register a domain with your contact information, it's published in something called the Whois database, which spammers and hackers can use to get into your inbox because it has your address and personal information on there. And you know, unlike some other companies, Hover includes free Whois privacy with all supported domains to keep your information confidential. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's hover.com forward slash revision path. Hover, domain names for your ideas. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, personal, business, or enterprise projects. So whether you're building something custom or you're using a CMS like WordPress or Drupal, SiteGround lets you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple hosting options that your websites can grow into. And we've got a great deal for you. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with designer and typographer Trey Seals. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Trey Seals. I am a graphic designer based in the D.C. metro area. I specialize in branding, illustration, font design, typography, hand lettering, a little bit of web. I try to do everything, really. (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I know we spoke earlier, you kind of mentioned yourself as a creative. And then even now, as you listed all the different things that you do, 
you also said that you really don't like calling yourself a designer because you find it limiting. When I think of a designer, I think of someone who just basically makes things on the computer, whereas a creative is involved in the entire process of design from art direction to creative direction to the actual designing and all the things that go into design. Okay. When did you first get interested in design in general? Forever, really. I remember when I was little, I was always getting trouble in school for drawing in class when I was supposed to be doing actual work. But it really kind of got in my blood at the age of four. At that time, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Oh. Yeah. You know, in the hospital and stuff, the only thing I really remember is art therapy. And that was like my happiest time during that ordeal. And then four years later, at the age of eight, I had another brain tumor. Wow. And yeah. (laughs) And drawing and art and design kind of became a coping mechanism for me. Like that was my happy place throughout the whole ordeal. And ever since then, that's all I've ever wanted to do, really. (laughs) Wow. I had no idea. I mean, we've spoken for people that are listening. You know, Trey and I have spoken before. This interview, this is the first time I'm hearing about this, Yeah. about you having brain tumors and, and art therapy and everything. I know that was a, a long time ago, and I don't want to rehash any negative feelings around that, but you say the art therapy is really what helped you. Do you remember kind of what some of that was? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's kind of dumb, but I remember we had made, it was like this cylinder, this plastic cylinder, and you could fill it with different colors, sand, and you had this wooden block that you would put it on, and you would paint the wooden block. And I actually still have it sitting on my desk today. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. As far as, like, negative feelings, I don't really have any. Like, I'm actually kind of grateful for it because I don't think I'd be who I am today if I hadn't gone through it. Wow, that's... See, now you threw me off. (laughs) (laughs) You completely threw me off now. I was not not expecting that. Um, I guess kind of going through that, aside from the art therapy, it sounds like creativity was just a big part of your childhood in general. Definitely. When did it sort of solidify to you that this was something you could do as a career? Kind of started back in the fifth grade. I went to this t-shirt shop about 20 minutes from my house, and they had this guy in there who was airbrushing t-shirts and making graffiti and things like that. And I'm like, wow, you can make money doing what I do. Mm-hmm. And right after I saw all of that, I started designing people's names in graffiti on index cards and laminating them and selling them for three bucks a piece. (laughs) Wow. This was at the time when we also had a school store. So outside the school store, I would sell my work. So you were like a early budding entrepreneur. Exactly. (laughs) Nice. Were your parents and your family, were they supportive of you kind of pursuing this? Kind of, sort of. My parents definitely were, but they weren't aware of graphic design. They just knew art. Uh I have a lot of family members who are artists. But like I have some family members who were like, ah, you can't make money doing that. You're going to be one of those hobos on the street drawing people's portraits. (laughs) But most of them were pretty supportive. Yeah. And so fifth grade, you sort of got the, I guess, design bug, the entrepreneurial bug. Kind of walk me through, I guess, the rest, like in terms of your your schooling. Of course, you went to middle school, went to high school. Where did you end up going to college? I went to Stevenson University, which is near, not far from Baltimore. Okay. I took their, uh, I majored in visual communication design. And while I was there, I had quite a few opportunities that I had never even really thought of. They had a, this thing called an artist in residence program okay. where every semester, every year, they would bring in a renowned designer, whether it be a photographer, a web designer, graphic designer, anything. And what really kind of took me further was I did, I was asked to do a workshop with this graphic designer named Scott Thayers, who is the owner of a graphic design firm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, called Wink. Mm-hmm. And during that workshop, I made some packaging designs for this, for the brief, for this company called Dueling Grandmas. <laughs> <laughs> and he liked what I had done so much that, uh, about a week after the workshop, I guess, I sent him a thank you note, and he offered me an internship. And I moved out there for two months, did my internship, 
and came back with pretty much all the skills that I have now, really. Nice. Yeah. And also, while you were at Stevenson University, actually one of Revision Path's previous guests was one of your teachers. Is that right? Right. Yep. Andrea Pippins. Yeah. She what? was a huge influence on me as well. What classes uh, did you take from her? I took this class called, I think it was Design Theory 1. And okay. basically, she had this do. It was my real first introduction to designing, really. It was the first time I really got the chance to use and experiment with Illustrator. We made packaging designs, logos. It was like a Design 360 class, really. And so after you graduated from Stevenson, I mean, you said you did the internship and that really gave you the skills that you had. You're a recent graduate. Like you just graduated, what, 2015? Is that right? Yep. Now that you're a recent graduate, you're you're starting out on your journey as a designer. What's it been like so far? I'm really blessed. When I graduated, I graduated with seven job offers. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I ended up, well, let me back up. Not long after I graduated, like that summer, I went to the AIGA conference in New Orleans. Okay. And I did the student portfolio review and all that. And I walked away with one of the job offers being from Pepsi in New York. And I also got a job offer from this company called The Creative Group. And that's who I actually took my first job with. Okay. And what, what they do, basically, it's like a staffing agency. Yeah. And the D.C. office made me their first what they call a creative specialist. And basically what they do instead of sending me on these short term jobs for like a week here, two weeks there, they would send me out to job sites for three to six months and seven months at a time. And there I got to work with. And the reason I actually took that job instead of Pepsi was I kind of wanted experience working in a variety of different areas. Mm hmm. So like I worked with a small design agency in this alley. I worked for a giant advertising agency. Uh, I worked for seven months at a real estate firm called Compass. They're like a, they were like a tech startup and I specialized in branding real estate agents. And that has gotten me a lot of freelance. And then after I think it was my fifth or sixth job with them, I decided to focus on my font company and my design studio. Wow. So you kind of were this hired hand for a while. Yeah. And you got a lot of, you know, varied experience with that. Let's talk about your company. I'm really super excited about it. It's called Vocal Type Company. Can you tell the people a little bit more about it? Sure. It started out in, I want to say like June or July of last year, 2016. Uh, I was working on a logo project and I started getting really, really, really bored. I was looking for inspiration, you know, Pinterest, Behance, and everything, like after doing so many logo projects, everything started to look the same to me. Mm -hmm. And I was getting really bored. Like, did I choose the wrong major? Should I go into something else like business administration or something? And I don't know what happened or what made me think of this, but something just popped in my head saying, look at the demographics of the design industry and the first thing i found was uh one of your videos where all the black designers oh <laughs> yeah that was like the first thing i found oh wow and, uh, okay yeah <laughs> and then i think it was like a couple of weeks later print magazine had reissued one of bishop miller's articles where uh black designers missing in action yeah yeah i remember that and now, i started the basis for me doing her original piece that she did in print, Mag yeah. 87, that was the basis for me doing my Where Are the Black Designers presentation. Oh, okay, cool. Essentially, it's kind of a full circle. Right, exactly. And I started reading the article. I read it like two or three times. And the more I read it, the more I realized that it was really a call to action for, for black designers. Okay. And I kind of came up with this idea of like, how can I introduce other cultures into the design industry because what i'm thinking is if you're in an industry ruled by a single group of people or a single race or ethnicity or whatever then you're only going to find inspiration from that ethnicity or that race or whatever mm -hmm. so i just wanted to figure out a way to introduce other sources of inspiration from other cultures into the industry and that's when i came up with the idea for vocal typeco introducing fonts based on 
cause and advocacy marketing materials from different movements of underrepresented groups throughout history. Yeah, you've got a few typefaces up there now. I know Martin is one of them because I bought that one. Yep. I'm trying to remember, what are the other ones that you have? I have one called Washington, which was based on a sign that was created for the March on Washington in the 70s. I have one called Evita, okay. which is based on uh, the women's rights marches in Argentina. I have one called Draft, which is based on the anti-draft protests from the 1960s and 70s. I have one called Mom Stencil, which is based on this sign that this little girl was carrying during a protest that says, give my mom a job. And then I have one other called Ruben, which was based on the Chicano movement during the 1970s. Now, you, you mentioned when you read the print magazine piece that it was sort of this this call to action for you. And while there are not, I wouldn't say there's not a lot of black designers it's sort of like you say, this this imaging problem where if you're only seeing a certain group of people kind of propagated throughout the industry and, you know, throughout media, then that tends to be kind of that only source of inspiration that you get. And with the different types of design there are, you know, typography is something which is is very old. It is quite artisanal. Definitely do not see a lot of, of black typographers. I see a lot of letterists. You know, like people that will do hand lettering and things like that. But I haven't seen many that create actual typefaces that could be used on the computer or used for, you know, Photoshop or something like that. What drew you to doing that specifically? Because earlier you said, you know, you do illustration and branding, etc. Why typography? It started out during my senior year of high school. I Knew, all I knew was drawing. I had no Illustrator, any Photoshop or anything. And I came up with this idea of just, why don't I like, draw my own font? And what it resulted in was, when I finally learned Illustrator, was a font called Unveil. Okay. And I just kind of enjoyed that process of going back and continuously refining and not having the pressure or time constraints, really. And... When the font was finished, it was just a vector font because I didn't know font programs back then or anything. Mm-hmm. And when it was released, it was like a really big hit. And I was like, wow, that was like my first really popular design, I guess. And today it has over 30,000 downloads. Wow. Congratulations, man. Thank you. So for people that are, are listening that, you know, who want to get into making their own typefaces, I know that you actually, I mean, you learned in school. So you've got, you know, the know-how and the knowledge behind how to create them. But are there any kind of resources or or tips that you would recommend? Like if, if someone wants to say, follow in your footsteps and wants to Mm -hmm. learn how to design typefaces, what are the things that helped you out? Just getting back to really drawing. I mean, get off the computer, go in your sketchbook. That's what really got to me. I was kind of tired of spending my days just sitting at a computer, really. And I decided to go back to where my heart was in the first place, which was drawing. If you're just starting out, I really highly recommend an application called FontSelf. It's an extension for Illustrator and Photoshop. All you really do is make the letters in Illustrator or Photoshop. You drag it into this extension and export it as a font, as a usable font. Oh, nice. Yeah. Is that what you use now when you're creating, or do you use any other kind of special tools? Right now, I'm using an application called Glyphs, oh. which is like way more extensive. It has like open type features, and I can control the kerning and more and the letting more. Right now, with Font Self, because it's such a new program, I think it just got backed by Kickstarter a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And they don't have like kerning features like to pixel precision. Yeah. Well, so, like you said, it's, a, it's an extension. And I mean, if it's something right. for Photoshop exactly. or Illustrator, that means it's got to work with vector and bitmap. Right. Yeah. So starting out, I highly recommend that. Uh, that's what really got me started into creating a fully workable typeface. Are there any other kind of typographers out there or, or designers in general that you admire? Like, who do you look up to for inspiration? I'm not sure if there's anyone I really look to specifically for inspiration. I try to look at books, really, get off the computer and go look at books. That's one of the main things I learned from that internship back in Minnesota. 
you know, everything that isn't on Pinterest is basically you can find it in a book. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, looking at old font books from different publishers, looking at maps, children's books for illustration, inspiration. And I also try to, like, just look at my surroundings. Like Vocal, you know, it's very D.C.-centric. There are protests literally everywhere, every day throughout D.C., and that's one of the real things that really inspired it as well. Do you have any favorite typefaces or any, any favorite font foundries that you really like in terms of the work that they put out? I really like Playtype just simply because they were in, innovative in the idea of actually coming, creating a physical shop where you can buy fonts and typography resources. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Like they, you can buy a mug with your favorite letter from one of their fonts or a poster with a letter from one of their fonts. Mm-hmm. I also like Type Supply, which is actually a local font company. I believe the guy is based out of Baltimore, if I'm not mistaken. And who else? I believe that's it. I mean, there's so many fonts out there. I was just trying to figure out. So my problem with fonts is that there's so many out there. And I feel like we judge a font superficially just based on how it looks. And I wanted, in like with all my branding work, I tried to put a story to the iconography. And that's what I wanted to do with fonts, really. Like something that doesn't just come from a sign that you saw somewhere or from an old book and from an old type book or something you saw on Pinterest that you like but didn't really fit. So let me tweak this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. I just want something that really had a story to it. Now, I am a huge typeface nerd. I have way more typefaces <laughs> than I can do anything. With. I, seriously, I collect oh, them. Oh, I understand. It's, it's, the, it's the one thing I will always collect. I'm always seeing oh, yeah. something somewhere. I'm like, I got to get this one. I got to get this one. I have wish lists of typefaces. Oh, yeah. I, would like to, <laughs> I would like to Me have too. one day. <laughs> I have even created projects around typefaces. Oh, yeah. I have, I have found a typeface that I've really liked, and I've either created like a mini project around it, or I found a client that I thought would have a project that would match that typeface just so I could use it. Definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably a bit sneaky, but I, that, I guess, you I know, mean, illustrates how much I like it. Well, yeah, it does, it does work. That's true. <laughs> That's true. How do you categorize your typefaces? I mean, like, and I'm not talking about the ones that you create, but. Yeah. If you have a lot of them, like, do you use any tools or anything to kind of keep them all in check? I have an application called Suitcase Fusion, and I have, like, categories and subcategories of fonts. I have, like, a folder for the ones I've made. I have ones that I can use commercially, ones I can use for personal, and then from there I have them divided by Foundry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to do that with mine. Mine are just sitting in a folder. <laughs> I need to do something with them. And like, you know, I have some of them categorized, but not all of the ones that I have, but I, I'll have mine categorized by, and I guess it sort of speaks to what you're saying about how we judge typefaces superficially. I have them as feelings. Gotcha. So if I need a tropical feeling, I've got fonts that I think will speak to that. If I have a seventies feeling, I have mm-hmm. fonts that will speak to that. If I have, you know, like, I try to go based off of, because when I'm talking to clients, for example, and for branding projects and we're working on their brand identity and I'm making a mood board and all this stuff, it's important Mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm communicating to them on that sort of visceral, emotional level. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about it as opposed to just, well, we're going to use this typeface and we're going to use this color. You know, I want them to Mm -hmm. get the feeling and the essence of what it is that we're creating together. Like a recent project that I did was for um, a woman who's creating kind of this lifestyle brand around women traveling, like traveling throughout the world. And so she had a very specific aesthetic that she wanted in terms of this kind of like breezy, beachy kind of feeling, but it also had to apply to different countries. So like it had to be a breezy feeling in Mm -hmm. Spain or a breezy feeling in Morocco or a breezy feeling in Japan, you know, like that sort of thing. Gotcha. So for me, when I'm doing it, I'm like, I'm doing it by feeling. There's, I mean, there are some foundries that I am, I am partial to. I really like a lot of stuff that I think I'm saying their name properly, but it's Sudtipos, S-U-D-T-I 
POS. Sud Tipok, I think it is. Oh, yeah. South Type, I think it's what it probably relates to. But they're a foundry in, I want to say Argentina, that does some really, really nice fonts. I'm a sucker for anything from Huffler. Huffler and oh, yeah. Formerly Huffler and Frere Jones. I really like that mid-century aesthetic, so I like a lot of stuff from House Industries. Oh, yeah, definitely. When I first started my, my company anyway, before I named it Lunch, it was called 318 Media, and I used their fonts pretty much specifically. Like, I used their Ed Bengiot family for, for everything because right. there was, like, a certain kind of playful, whimsical, kind of game showy type of mm-hmm. feeling that I wanted to sort of put forth, which I, you know, eventually ended up getting rid of that. But it sort of speaks to how typefaces can really create these these feelings, like you say, you don't want to judge it superficially, but also right. I think we all know the power that typography has when, I mean, something that's set in Times New Roman versus something set in Comic Sans is going to just have a different, I think, feeling maybe on the person that's reading it. Oh, yeah, definitely. So what kind of projects are you working on right now? Right now, I'm working on a few more typefaces. I just finished up this kind of global project founded on Instagram called 36 Days of Type, where everyday designers, illustrators, 3D animators, whoever can join in and make a letter and number every day for 36 days. And basically every day I was working on a letter for one typefaces, one series of typefaces. One of them was based on a gay pride march that took place back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I actually finished up three other typefaces from doing that uh, that I spoke about earlier, Avita, Ruben, and Draft. Nice. Yeah. Outside of vocal, doing a lot of, I've been doing a lot of branding for realtors <laughs> ever since I left Creative Group a couple years, about last year. Ever since I did work for Compass, uh, I've been getting requests from realtors for logo pro- and branding projects from all over. I got one from Canada, one from Arizona, Virginia, everywhere. So it sounds like you're not really hurting for business in any kind of way. Like you've started off on a pretty Hello. strong footing yeah. freelance wise. Definitely. That's awesome. That is so awesome because so many people I know start off and that first year is rough. Yeah. My first year was rough. Well, my first year wasn't that rough. It started out rough. I'd say maybe the first half of the year was rough and then I ended up getting a decent client and sort of built from mm-hmm. there. But it can be tough to kind of start off and keep that momentum going, but it sounds like you found a good niche, which is right. working with realtors and real estate, and you've right. been able to build on that while also having time on the side to create these typefaces. Exactly. What type of clients are best for you to work with? Like, what type of projects or clients? Like, I love branding. That's what everyone really comes to me for, client-wise. Okay. I'd like to get outside of that and do more posters i love designing posters especially working with illustration or illustrating type as far as clients go i don't want to be like that guy but i like clients who don't who know what they like but don't want to pretend to be a designer at the same time oh everyone likes those <laughs> oh yeah exactly exactly so you're, you're not you're not you're not rare in that everyone wants right. to make sure that the client kind of knows exactly. knows what they want but they they know what they want, but they don't try to act like they know what you know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They value design, basically. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think you have this very unique vantage point. Again, you've gotten this, this strong education. You you clearly have the skills. I mean, for people that are listening, please take a look at this portfolio. You have the skills. You started off strong freelance-wise. Is there anything in particular that you want to see from the design industry that you're not seeing now? I would just like to see other cultures involved in the industry, like other cultures in terms of designers being highlighted in the industry. Like, for example, that article we talked about earlier with uh, Black Designers Missing in Action. Mm -hmm. It was in print magazine and it was like the top 15 or top 10 visual artists of the year. And they were all white. And then at the very back of the magazine was this article, Black Designers Missing in Action. Mm. I would just like to see diversity pushed to the forefront of the industry. What do you think it's going to take for that to happen? Partially, I think it would take 
other cultures to try to make their voice known. And two, I feel like design isn't really accepted amongst cultures just because we don't understand it. Like, okay. Like, you know how most of your family members don't know what you do, but they know that you make things look cool? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> just like understanding the industry, really. I think people just need to understand the in- industry more. Because in, I feel like a lot of people want to be designers, but are afraid to be designers. Just because they don't know what can happen. Well, I think it, it might also be, you know, something about exposure, too. I mean, for you, this was something. Oh, yeah, definitely. You were exposed to it. I mean, at a very young age. And so it's something that's always been in your your atmosphere that right. you do design as a profession. That was something you could always know. For people that I've had on the show before, it's always been much later in life for the most part mm-hmm. that, that it's sort of gotten to them like, hey, I could do this for a living. Usually mm-hmm. it's sometime in college, but mostly it's after college. Mostly it's well after college. I mean, even speaking for myself, it really wasn't until I graduated college and got my first job, I think, three years afterwards that I knew that this could be a career because it was always a hobby for me, you know, everything else I was doing. I mean, even when I was going from high school to college, I wanted to write. I wanted to you know, major in English and be a writer. And my mom was like, you need to, like, do something that's going to, like, get you a job, basically. Mm-hmm. And I did. I mean, I started out with computer science, switched to math, got my math degree. Still don't have a job in math, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's one of those things where I was still kind of designing on the side, and then eventually mm-hmm. I had a portfolio that was strong enough to get me hired somewhere, and mm-hmm. just sort of you know grew from there. So yeah. exposure don't get me wrong. is a big part in it. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, it is a pretty scary and uncertain industry, in part because there are so many of us trying to get you know these giant gigs. Mm-hmm. And simply because you don't know if you'll have a gig six months from now or a month from now, once you finish whatever project you're on, or even before you start a project. So you're a young designer. You're what, 23, I think? Yep, 23. 23. From your perspective, how do we get the next generation excited about design? I think just like we have a campaign for everything. We try to educate people about the dangers of things, introducing people to the possibilities of design. Like there's more out there than just being a doctor or a lawyer or a policeman or a fireman. Making that, like putting that, making that industry, this industry as important as everything else that we promote as positive. What keeps you motivated and inspired with your work? I know you said you, you do a lot of inspiration from looking at books and, and things like mm-hmm. that, but where do you pull strength from? I'm not, I honestly don't know. It's just a passion for me. The work I do is what gets me up every day. <laughs> so what is a typical day like for you? Pretty much I get up in the morning, uh, check my emails, and I just start going to work on the project, whatever project I'm working on at that time. And if I don't have a project on the books, I'll probably make up one. <laughs> so if there's any space in the world that you could you know, create a design for? Because it sounds like the work that you've done, you pull a lot from culture. If there's any space in the world that you can make a design for, what would it be and what would you make? It would probably be for like the pediatric board of a hospital. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I remember being there and it was just, you know, white walls, very dreary and I would just like to introduce some color or, you know, a new PlayStation or just something to let kids be kids and not have to feel like there's nothing else outside of here. Are there any children's hospitals near where you're at? I actually, when I had my surgery, I went to a children's hospital in D.C. Okay. Yeah. I know we've got one. I think we have two here. No, we have one. We have Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, but I think we have an actual hospital that's called Scottish Rites. I think it's okay. Eggleston Scottish Rites, something like that. But I can totally see where that would be something you would you would want to make a design for because that's, I mean, aside from having that personal connection to you, it's also where design and art really became something which helped you live, really. It helped you, you yeah. know, get to where you are now. Exactly. 
you mentioned this inter this uh this internship that you had in Minnesota. That's kind of really where you learned what it is that you know now. What's the most useful career advice that you've gotten that has helped you out to this day? Probably number one was looking to old books. History repeats itself, so look to it for inspiration. Outside of Minnesota, we had this career conference at Stevenson, and I'll remember his name, but there was this one speaker, and it was the one thing that really inspired me to learn as much as I possibly could, and it really helped me soon after that. And he said, every single class that you take in school is a future client. <laughs> and I, that never occurred to me. Like, why are we doing all these things that don't actually apply to our major? But it's because everything, you know, every class is a future client. That same semester, I was taking a sociology class. And during that semester, I was asked by the School of Design to create a poster for the following semester's artist in residence who was actually a sociologist and social media theorist. Who are some of your mentors? Did you have any mentors that helped you out? I mean, aside from, uh, what did you say his name was? Scott Thayer's? Mm -hmm. Aside from him, did you have anyone else that really helped you out along the way? Oh, yeah. I had a teacher, Lori Rubling. She really helped me realize prior to my internship that concept and having a reason behind everything that you create is key to a good design. Mm -hmm. I had another teacher, Ina Alicina, who really helped me fit, realize that branding was my passion. I had really thought of it that way before. I had just really liked designing everything, but branding was like key for me. And she really brought that out. I had a, another teacher my very first year of college, Terrence Hannum, And I didn't see the point in his classes when I was taking them. But all we like we did these crazy things with collages and making wire sculptures and like I later realized that this was preparation for ideation mm -hmm. like creating these physical pieces to help show clients this is what the end result will look like when it's finished and that really helped to you what does it mean to be a creative today because it sounds like what you do you're dabbling in so many different things. I mean, of course, you've got vocal type, which mm -hmm. is, was mainly typography, but you mentioned branding, you mentioned illustration, you mentioned even a little bit of web stuff. Mm -hmm. So you, what, is, what does it mean to be a creative today? To be a creative is to wear many hats. You have to be proficient in a, in a lot of different areas, not just being able to design. Where do you see yourself in like the next five years or so? When I was 20, I had set out I had made a pact with myself that by the time I was 25, I would be an internationally renowned designer and hopefully being able to do speaking engagements like AIGA conferences or different conferences throughout throughout the U.S. I'd like to write my own book in the next five to 10 years. Okay. Owning my own studio and uh, I'm actually in the process of building it right now. Oh, can you and talk yeah. about that a little bit? You, you sort of mentioned that in your bio that you sent me, but talk about that a little bit. Studio yeah, um, Seals, is that yes. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was born and raised on this farm that was built by my great-great-grandfather back around 1910, 1911. Mm -hmm. And I think it was about two years ago, we had this stable that he had built, and our last horse died. And I'm not really a fan of the city. Like I worked in DC, I worked in Virginia. I can't stand the commute. I mm -hmm. just like the peace and quiet. <laughs> and uh, I came up with the idea to convert the stable into my own studio. So do you have any sort of parting advice that you want to give to any up and coming designers or to our audience that might be listening? Definitely. One piece of advice that I'd really like to leave you with is always enter as many competitions as you possibly can. You may not have enough faith in yourself or think your design is good enough, but that does not mean at all that you should enter. I have gotten a lot of my major projects from competitions. I did a project in, I want to say 2014, 2013 with Panasonic, where designers were challenged to create these designs that would go around solar powered lanterns that would be placed in different communities that don't have access to electricity. And 
whoever, like the top 100 with the most votes would actually get produced and sent out to those communities. I actually was one of those 100. And then about a year later, one of my teachers gave us this project to do for a competition for this organization out of the UK called YCN. And uh, it was their first year doing a competition in North America. And we were assigned the Whole Foods Brief, which was basically to reimagine this thing that they have called a rating system, which Mm -hmm. basically tells you like how healthy, how environmentally friendly a certain product is. And they had a different system for fish, for chicken, for pork, for vegetables, for cleaning products. And uh, we had to figure out a way to make people pay attention to them more. And uh, me and two of my friends came up with this idea to create these labels that would actually go on the packaging so that when you pick up the box, you actually see that this is good, better, or best. So we basically simplified the rating system between all these separate larger systems into one digestible label. Mm -hmm. And uh, that actually won as well. And we didn't think, we just thought we were, it would be a nice portfolio piece. We didn't think we would actually win. And then all of a sudden we did. <laughs> nice. So I just highly recommend entering as many competitions as you can because you never know where it will take you. I'm so glad you mentioned that about competitions. It's been a while back when I, I think when I last mentioned awards and competitions. I think it was when I talked to either, either Silas Monroe or to Roy Milton's two mm-hmm. It might have been both of them, but I remember specifically I talked about this with Silas about the importance of like entering awards competitions because, you know, you see a lot of awards competitions and and things of that nature and you don't see black designers winning them. But then I don't know if black designers are even entering them. And I'm curious about it, not just as a designer, but as a judge. I mean, I've judged design competitions for the past five years now currently judging two competitions right now as we're recording Mm -hmm. and i mean i can't see the race of the people that are submitting right like when when it comes to us it is largely a blind entry i don't know who is is submitting Mm -hmm. but before the you know i mean while the submissions are coming in i do reach out to black design groups and say hey you should submit something for this, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are often other deterrences. They're like, oh, you have to pay to submit. I'm like, well, yeah, you do. With most of these, you do have to pay to submit. It's not necessarily a free submission for everything. Mm -hmm. And that will deter them from entering. Or some people feel like if they enter because they're a black designer and I'm a black designer, judging that means that they're going to get a certain leg up. It doesn't. Because (laughs) because I'm not going to know really who designed it when it comes to me like when it comes to us to judge it is very much a blind entry you see the work and that's it yeah and unless you happen to know this designer's particular style which nine times out of ten you don't you don't know who did it you just have to judge it based off of what's in front of you like what it looks like and how it functions etc but i certainly would love to see more black designers kind of getting involved with awards things i remember the art directors club a few years ago for their young guns, their AEC young guns, they announced the winners one year and all the winners were white mm-hmm. and caused a pretty big controversy about, you know, where are the color you know, designers of color that are entering? Mm-hmm. Why is that the case? And I mean, those organizations tend to deflect, but I think that deflection is often because it's, I don't want to say it's not necessarily up to them. I mean, it depends mm-hmm. on where they market and, and who they reach out to, et cetera. But you know, to your point, we kind of also have to know what's going on as well. Like we have to see these opportunities when they happen, uh, just enter them because you never know what's going to come from it. And honestly, the designers I know who have won awards, you know, myself included, have said that the, the benefit from it is that it just puts your work in front of a different set of eyes, like a a certain set of clients, ones that value design, that don't look at it as a commodity that see, see it for what it is. So right. there's certainly the inherent benefit, but yeah, I would like to see more of that. I really want to unpack that more in the future. Like on the site, I think I want to do something around what the case is behind that. Cause I feel like there's more beneath the surface of just, Oh, we don't want to enter it because of the application fee. I feel like there's more mm-hmm. there to, to unpack. So 
I think it is has a lot to do with you don't know who's entering, and even if they won, you still don't know who that person is. You may see their name, but that doesn't really mean anything to you unless you actually know who the person is. Right. And also, I think it's, I mean, it is you opening up your work to be judged. Right. You know? Now, I'm not saying that everyone that enters will automatically know what their score is or, or how they were right. judged or what the ranking is or what have you, but... Mm-hmm. I could see the psychological aspect of it where you might think that your work is great, but then you enter into a competition and you don't even place. And right. it's like, well, why did I, why did I do that? But right. you kind of have to still keep doing it. You have to keep progressing. So one day you will, you will right. place. I don't know. There's more behind that. I, I just, I just yeah. feel like in my gut, there's more behind that, that I want to unpack. Oh, definitely. And you don't even know who, sometimes you don't even know who's judging. So it may be, completely up to what the judges like not it may not be how good your work is but just what they like that's true like i'm judging two competitions right now uh with one of them they it's a blind jury so the people who don't know who are who the judges are mm-hmm. the other one they announce the judges and <laughs> the people that have hit me up that have planned on entering i just want you to know this is what my entry is so when you <laughs> I, I can't I can't do anything about that. Like don't right. don't berate the judges. Okay, it's not gonna work in your favor. It's just not gonna work. Right. Like we often have to judge dozens to hundreds of pieces, and we just want to be able to look at the work with fresh eyes and give our opinions. Like don't don't harass the judges. <laughs> don't do that. If you're if you are entering a competition and you know who the judges are, don't harass them. It's just not gonna work out in your favor. Right. It's not gonna work. Exactly. <laughs> well, just to kind of wrap things up, Trey, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online? Uh, my personal portfolio, you can find it at sealsbrand.co. Uh, for if you want to buy some of my fonts from Vocal Type Co., it's just vocaltype.co. All right, sounds good. Well, Trey Seals, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I have always wanted to have a black typographer on the show, not just because I'm a huge font nerd. I am. It is sort of, was sort of a personal thing. Just wanted to have that, but also because I wanted someone to be able to sort of speak to why they decided to go into something that is, is a, a really, as I said before, kind of artisanal aspect of design. Like it's so easy to, I think, get into Photoshop or get into illustrator and design logos, etc. Typefaces. When you think about even as how design has progressed within the past 20 years, Typefaces have been the one constant throughout the entire thread of design when computers were introduced. We changed tools. Like we changed from, I mean, even when I started, I changed from using like PageMaker to GoLive to HomeSite to Dreamweaver to other stuff. Mm -hmm. Even graphic design, you know, programs change. The one constant throughout all of those, even across operating systems, are typefaces. And so you're creating something that is is very all-purpose in a way. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just kind of explore what the reason was behind that. But also I wanted to talk to you as a young designer to get your feedback on, like, where do you see yourself in the industry? How can the industry do more for you, for your generation that's coming up? Because it's up to us that are, are older, that have kind of started to forge the way to make sure that each generation after that, it's it's an easier road for them to walk, essentially. So... Thank you so much again for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Really, thank you. Thoughts of love are in your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Trey Seals and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Trey and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as showing how internal design critiques work at Facebook, sharing resources about VR and other cutting-edge tech, and by giving away great tools and resources like Origami Studio, popular device templates for Photoshop and for Sketch, and even diverse hands for mock-ups. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 15 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to grow sales and make money in their sleep. 
You know, MailChimp has really grown from being just an email service provider to becoming your one-stop place for marketing your entire business. So aside from sending email, it ties into other services like Hootsuite for social media, Zapier, which connects to hundreds of other services, Salesforce for CRM, Eventbrite for events and ticketing, and just, it's great. Get everything you need all in one place and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp, send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. With free private domain registration and your choice of domains across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there, how can you turn that down? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. 60%. You can't beat that. SiteGround. Web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review there. It only takes a minute or two and it really helps the show by bumping us up in the iTunes rankings for Design Podcast. I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. Pledge level start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.